Welcome to The Pursuit of Life, where we share inspirational and action-focused stories to help you live a life of adventure. Proudly presented by Knightswood House. Now, please welcome your host, David Hazelwood. Hi, and welcome to The Pursuit of Life. This is episode number nine, and my name is Dave Hazelwood. I'm excited to have you joining me today to meet my special guest, Tristan Miller. At the end of 2009, Tristan had a decision to make. He'd been made redundant and he had the choice of looking for a new job or doing something a bit different. Rather than taking the safe course, he packed up his life and went backpacking around the world on a gap year. There was one key difference to the plan of most travellers though. He would run 52 marathons in 52 weeks across seven continents all around the world. In this podcast, we talk about goals, how you plan and execute them, but most importantly, what you do when you've achieved them to ensure you don't hit a a flat spot afterwards. For all the resources and tools mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at knightswood.com.au forward slash episode nine. Now, let's get into the interview. So we're joined today by Tristan Miller from Run Like Crazy. So Tristan, I've been really, really looking forward to this conversation. I remember watching you as you were... um, traveling the world and running all those marathons so for those people who've never heard of him in 2010 and I'm not going to steal your story but in 2010 Tristan packed his bags and decided he was going to run a marathon every week all around the world Um, and I remember I came across you on Facebook and was following the journey on uh, on Facebook and um, I think I don't know if it was on Strava at that stage as well or not but um, you know, certainly on there, and you know, just loved the idea of what you were doing and uh, and the way you were doing it. So, yeah, I've been really wanting to to have this conversation with you. So, thanks for for agreeing to come on the show, Tristan. Um, now we'll get to some of that um, before too long. But the first question that I want to ask you is, what did you want to be when you grew up? Ah, uh, well, David, I, I, you know, like to be honest, I had. No idea if I'm if I'm truly honest. My my uh, you know look, I, I, you know it's a funny story. I, I I grew up effectively. I say that I grew up with a single mum and four kids. Um, my dad lived in Sydney, and my dad was you know reasonably wealthy. And when I say that, middle class kind of wealthy, he was doing really well. He was in marketing at Toyota and doing really well. Um, my mum was working two jobs, raising four kids, although supported by my father from, from afar, you know, like they split up when I was three years old. He moved back to Sydney for work. I, you know, we were down in Melbourne living out in the eastern suburbs in Belgrade. Uh, I had a stepfather there for a few years and, you know, that sort of came, came and went as a situation. He was a good guy, but he had a few of his own troubles and whatnot. And actually there's a photo sitting behind you on a desk of a man standing next to a motorbike and actually that's how I remember my stepdad, you know. He was a guy that loved riding motorbikes and, you know, really taught me some really cool stuff like that, took me hunting and all those sorts of things, but carried a few of his own demons and, uh, you know, like definitely, definitely, you know, had things he needed to sort, sort out before being a good dad. And um, and so I kind of found, always found myself in this position of wanting, you know, of, of wanting something more. I always... I never really got to play much sport as a kid because, um, you know, like mum had four kids and she was doing two jobs and it was just too hard to get us to sport and all that kind of stuff. Um, my brother and I, who's my brother's only a year older than me, we made a lot of our own fun and we did have opportunity. I'm not going to say we didn't um, and we lived up in the hills. So, 
you know, my probably my biggest exposure to, to playing sport was running for the train because uh, if I hooked it, I would play for school. Um, and I played a bit of rugby at, you know, at, at high school as well, which was which was good fun. But once again, I went to school in the city, um, you know, trying to do any after-school sports and then having an hour-and-a-half trip back home afterwards. Uh, it just got me home so late that I was so fatigued all the time trying to go back to school and learn all that kind of stuff. It was, you know, it was a bit of a mission, but it was something I committed to because I like being part of communities and being a part of something. And um, I guess what I wanted was to be to be rich and uh, being rich to me just equaled having the opportunity to do different stuff, to having freedom. I just, you know, that, that was how I, if I had lots of money, and I'd have more freedom to not be stuck in Belgrave, which was the hills in Melbourne, to not be stuck having to sit on the train all the time to get places. Do you know what I mean? Because then I have a bit more freedom to, I don't know, just just get around to buy a motorbike. You know, because I love riding, riding, riding motorbikes at that stage to get around and just do more stuff. And um, as I started to get some freedom, you know, I, I I probably worked a little bit too hard at high school as well. I worked a job at Sizzler, which was a horrible chain of run. You know, all you can eat restaurants just so I can have some money. Um, and uh, and I spent that on dumb stuff, just you know, trying to meet up with my friends in the city to go to parties. Which once again, I get home too late, I'd be too tired for school and stuff like that. Um, and then I went off to university, and it was much the same. I, I got a I got a job in a nightclub, you know, and I worked too hard at night. And uh, I actually did pretty well at university, but I was just doing an arts degree, so that's probably no no great strain. And um, and yet, you know, I I, I, I kind of had a path laid out. I thought I was going to do, you know, get into film and television. That's what I did at university. That's what I wanted to do. Went off to the UK after after uni, kind of having realised at uni that it was a bit of a wasted opportunity, that I was working, I should have been working in film and television while at university. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, really. Experience. Instead, I was wasting my time doing two jobs, and one of them was in a nightclub. The other one was selling Foxtel door to door, trying to save up enough money so that when I left university, I could actually go overseas and get the hell out of Australia, which is something I always wanted to do. And um, and you know, I just I had intention, mate. And I, I probably you know, I, I thought I was always making good decisions, but they were very much like like short term decisions. Okay, and so what? What led to the decision to pack everything up and take a bag and go running 52 marathons in 52 weeks well, all around the world? This is, you know, if I take you back to that point of the story, that that, that, that was actually the catalyst. Me getting a lot, okay. and this is still a few, a few years beforehand, it's around 2005, so I'm 28 years old at that stage. I'm getting drunk a lot. I'm getting a bit lost in my own kind of, you know, just just... I guess self-demolition, um, you know, I was kind of, uh, I, I needed some help. I needed some, just some leader, you know, someone to lead me, someone to mentor me. And, and it just so happened that a fellow that I was working with stepped into my life and said, hey, you know what, Tristan, you're, uh, you're becoming a real cliche at the moment, you know, like you're clearly having some tough times, but you're just getting drunk a lot. Um, he recognised that I was, you know, I, I admitted to him uh, that I was going through a divorce he um, he said, you know, geez, mate, you're becoming the drunken ex-husband. Is that what you want? And uh, and I'm like, no, that's not what I want, but I don't know how to do something different. <laughs> He's like, well, uh, you know, I think you're better than this and I think we should go running and we should just start turning a better page, you know, turning over to a better page in your life. 
And, uh, and we did. Like, he challenged me to come for a run. I, need, I didn't want to because he was a marathon runner and I was shit-scared, basically. Uh, but, you know, that's, I, I find this as a real common theme these days. No one ever wants to run with someone that's really capable of running. But who better to go running with than someone that's really capable of running, right? You just yeah. you go, oh, yeah. this is going to be too much for me. It's going to be too intense. I'm really scared. But the person's not going to run off on you. You know what I mean? They'll, they'll go at your speed. Yeah, because they know, they know where you're at. And they know what you've got to go through to get to where they're at. Everyone's been there, you know? Yep. And, uh, and yep. I just needed this guy to go for a run and talk to me. And he talked to me while we ran eight kilometres. And I was so busy trying to breathe and run. And <laughs> he couldn't oh, get a word in. <laughs> By the end of that, I was like, he was like, wasn't that great? Don't you feel amazing? I'm like, no, mate. I do not feel amazing. I feel the dog. And, uh, you know, maybe it was the beers I had the night before and Friday night before. Geez, I was nowhere. And, um, and so he, but the great thing was he persisted, you know, he sat me down and he said, look, we've had really good conversations here, mate. And I, I think they're really positive and I think that this is what you need. Um, so let's do this every Saturday morning. And as often as we could on a Saturday morning, we'd go for a long run. He was inevitably training for a marathon anyway, right? So he just wanted the company. Um, but he was, his name's Rob Gilbert, this guy, and he's just a sensational guy. And I don't see enough of him these days, and I wish I did because, you know, he really mentored me through a really tough period. I started taking more cues from him about how to structure my week and my life and just for the sheer fact that we were running on a Saturday morning, I'd feel really good about what I'd achieved on a Saturday morning. I'd drink less on a Friday night because I wanted to feel fresh on Saturday morning. I'd drink less on a Saturday night because I decided I felt, you know, like I felt positive and I didn't want to feel crap the next day. I started to do a bit of secret training on a Sunday as well because this, this guy was killing me out there and he was 10 years older than me so I just didn't want to, I didn't want him to whip me like that. So we, um, you know, by, by within a couple of months, I just felt better, I looked better, I had colour back in my face instead of looking just, you know, just terrible. I was making better decisions. I, I was doing, I was showing up to work on a Monday without a hangover, which is just such a win, you know. I mean, there's whole, there's whole movements around that right now that, uh, you know, feeling of, what is it, wake up Sundays or, you know, feel good Sundays and, Feel good Mondays, things like that, where you do positive things across your your weekend, so you don't feel like death on a Monday. And uh, and and this was a very rudimentary form of that, and yet it was a very positive thing to do. Um, I started working out on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, running and going to the gym and stuff like that. So I'd be positive during the week. I was pretty quickly one of the most positive guys at Three AW, which is, as you can imagine, isn't very hard, you know. Talk about radio. <laughs> But uh, but it was it just went to show like he got me to my first fun run which was the uh, you know the run to the G you know which was uh, you run around Melbourne and you end up at the G we'd done a half marathon and uh, and uh, from there he's challenging me to do a full marathon in October two thousand and five the old Melbourne marathon that went from Frankston into the city he kept on training me he kept on talking to me and this is a guy that's got like a a child that's got, you know, um, cerebral palsy as well. So he's like, he's got his own problems, you know, and he's, he's you know, he, at that stage he was a 15-year veteran at 3AW. He's now over 20 years there and he's just a guy that's just systematic in how he lives his life and how he keeps himself fit and looks after his sons and his sons aren't young anymore but he was still there for them, helping them nurture and nurture them and look after them. His wife was reliant on him as well, um, you know, you know, and, 
notwithstanding she was a really tough woman as well because she was raising, you know, two boys and one of them were having a lot of issues and there's a lot of stress at home related to that. So this guy, the fact that he could, like, structure his life and he had problems. I didn't really have problems, do you know what I mean? This guy had stuff he had to deal with and I didn't have any of those real responsibilities. So the fact remained that I started to feel really um, proud to actually spend time with him and uh, and be challenged by him. And um, and I, by the end of that year, towed the line with him at the Melbourne Marathon. I was like, wow, I never thought I'd be that guy that could do it. I was still so scared of being at a marathon. It's one thing running 21Ks. We'd kind of, you know, done some distances that allowed for that. But the idea that I was going to run a marathon, and I just kept cutting laps of Albert Park Lake, which is a 5K loop, which is the most boring thing. <laughs> I was dragging my mates with me. I was like, just come and run three laps with me and I'll do the rest. You know what I mean? Like, and, uh, and it was a horrible yeah. way to train, but I didn't know any different. And, um, you know, I, and I got to that start line. I was wearing board shorts, a cotton tank top, a hat that just wasn't a runner's hat, you know. And um, and I absolutely shredded my nipples. I absolutely felt the shit out of my body. <laughs> I was the- I was the ugliest guy crossing the finish line, but I finished the marathon without. And I tell you, I wanted to give up a bunch of times, um, but uh, especially when I ran past my house, basically, and I just wanted to toss it. Um, but uh, but I I pushed myself through to the end. I finished my first marathon in just under four hours and twenty minutes. And I got to tell you, like just reflecting on the process of getting to that marathon, knowing that I done something I thought was impossible for a guy like me, you know, a guy like me who I'd, who I'd yep. boxed in. I'd boxed myself down to a guy that couldn't run marathons, that couldn't do big stuff, that couldn't really challenge myself outside the norms, you know, and all of a sudden I was doing that. And, you know, because I had the guidance of a guy that believed in me and because he gave me a structure about how to get to that start line, so I'd earned my spot and, and that gave me the confidence to earn my finish. And uh, and throughout that journey, I just kept on reflecting. And after that journey, I kept on reflecting on on that passage. You know that 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 passage of time. It was a it was a long term goal that paid off, and it set me up to do it again and have the tools required to do to do a better job the next time. Because I I'd, I'd effectively failed in my plan of how I was going to achieve it, but I'd won in that I had achieved it. And, and I felt really positive about that. I, I realised that it was not me racing anyone else. It was just me racing myself. And if I could look at my life a bit more like that, then then it's okay to screw up. It's okay to fail as long as I'm taking lessons for the, from those things and, and applying that to the next phase of my life. Yeah, well. Now tell me, because I know yeah, you talked about your first marathon and anyone who's ever run a marathon knows there's a point in there where your body, your mind and everything is saying, no, nah, I've had enough. And, and so it's a weird part of your psyche because it's not real. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it's called the marathon wall or the wall or whatever. Yep. And I experienced that wall at the Melbourne Marathon and I ran a few marathons. Don't get me wrong. I didn't just do 2005 marathon and stop running. Like I did a marathon each year and even a couple after that from 2005 to 2010. And so I'd run, what, 
you know, um, five marathons and one ultra marathon. I was at six marathons and one ultra marathon, five marathons and one ultra marathon in 2005 to 2010. And I was attempting to run, you know, five marathons in, um, in January in 2010. You know what I mean? Like it was like in five different countries, right? So I was just going to keep showing up to a bunch of marathons. And, um, Everyone said, you, you look, you fail in one marathon. Do you know what I mean? How are you going to do that back-to-back in a month and then feel like you could just go on and keep running marathons? I was very determined or very considered in the fact that I just took it one race at a time. I knew that I was going to hit a wall each time. And I had worked out that it didn't matter how far you ran, whether it was a thirty, um, sorry, a, a, a half marathon, a 42-kilometre race or that 90-kilometre race, in um over in south africa if you get to 75 percent of a race so if you get to 15 k's in a half marathon 30 odd k's in a marathon if you get to you know like 70 k's in the in the comrades then you feel like you can't finish everything in your body says you're done mate but but don't get me wrong like like if i'm running a marathon i'm rolling through 15 k's like it's nothing i'm getting up to 30 k's no matter what so i don't there's no wall at 15, it comes at 30. If I'm going to 90Ks or 100Ks, then I don't feel that until I get to 70, right? So it's it's just in your head. And so I knew each time that I hit that wall that what I just needed to do was dismantle it. And it's usually because you're using, you've just been shredding through your emotional energy, your physical energy and your mental energy to get to that point. And so everything just says, okay, it's time to stop now. But that's you deciding to overcome your own fear that it is actually time to stop because that, that's all it is. It's your fear that you think you're done when you're not really done. And um, and yet, you know, you can also get to that point and go, I'm 75% of the way here. If I could just get to 80 or 85%, then I've only got 15% to go. Do you know what I mean? So you really are just at the cusp at that, at that, um, at that tipping point where it all gets easier because you know you're done. Um, and so that was always the battle. It happened at every single race throughout the year in varying degrees. And, uh, and yet I actually took on a couple of hundred kilometer races through that year as well. So I was taking on ultra marathons, not just 42k races. So it wasn't just limited that, to that. And I had got to a point when I started to do back to back marathons on Saturday and Sunday as well, because I just wanted to, you know, like in different countries, get a couple more countries in, get a few more in early in the year while I was pretty fit and strong, knowing that at the back end of the year if I was damaged for whatever reason, that I'd actually be able to maybe miss a week and make it up somewhere along the way. Mm. And um, and so, you know, like, yeah, the wall's there. The wall's always there. And I've run 100-mile races, 250-kilometre races across the Sahara Desert, you know, since then, all that kind of stuff. It's always there and it generally is your fear of not having done enough in training not believing, not having eaten the right thing the night before, all these dumb little variables that you can never really take account of, never really resolve, um, that will always come back to haunt you. And even if you're best prepared with the best race plan in the world, something's going to go wrong because that's just life. Shit just goes wrong. Uh, so break it down into yeah. what you can achieve, which is usually just get to the next drink station or get to the next K marker. Break that down and then just keep breaking it down, down to get, get to the end. And that's what you did over the yeah. year as well? Because I'd imagine at some point of the year you're going, oh, God, yeah, another weekend, another race, and, I've had and, enough. And, and the travel was the same. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's funny. I, so I've got, I've got ways of, 
breaking it down. So I've got my little mantras, which is, you know, and, uh, and little contingencies, which is if I, if I can't run a K, I could probably break it down into how many minutes. So say I've got to 30K and I'm absolutely cooked because I've, you know, I've just had enough or I'm, I'm running a 100K race and I've got to 70Ks and I've just had enough. I'll break it down. I'll go, okay, I'm going to run for two minutes and walk for two minutes. Do you know what I mean? Or walk for a minute and run for two minutes or walk for a minute and run for a minute. Do you know what I mean? And if you can create a system around it, then you can actually just get back to moving in a, in a forward direction without walking the whole way, which takes forever. Um, or I might have a mantra where I'm going, okay, I'm really tired now and if I keep thinking about how much I hurt, I'm never going to make it. So I'm just going to go strength and power and I'm going to pull strength from my body and I'm going to push power into my legs. And I'm going to go strength, breathe and power, push. Strength, breathe and power, push. And I can do that for hours. Do you know what I mean? Or alternatively, if it's all gone wrong and I can't even think about how to, you know, say that and it's not working, I just count to 20 over and over and over again. And like I said, I ran across the Sahara Desert. I reckon I reckon I did that for 150 out of 250Ks. Like I counting to 20 because it was 50 degrees in the heat and I was absolutely cooked and there's no way I wanted to go on. But if I could just keep on counting to 20 and forget about my, what, what my body was doing to fail, um, then I could get through it. And so uh, and so it's it's how you break these down into really minute systems and uh, and I did that. I learned that that year. That's what I learned is how to just break things down into what do I have to achieve now to get through this race. And if I can get through this race and get to the to the finish line, then I can have a rest. My body's going to go through this convulsive act of just freaking out because I've just beaten the crap out of it. But then it's going to recover. I know it's going to recover. It went from recovering over a three-day period to recovering over a two-day period to recovering over a 24-hour period so I could start running 24 hours later. Right, So it started to get conditioned. It started to build to a point where I knew that I could just achieve the next stage. And if I could recover, then I could get my bags and I could get to the next place that I needed to be. If I could get, get that plane, get to the next destination, then I could walk around the city and make myself walk around the city because I'm going to a new destination, right? a new place, a place that I've never seen before. I'm walking the streets of Israel, of, of Jerusalem, of Tel Aviv. I'm walking the streets of St. Petersburg. I'm getting around in Cape Town. I'm walking around in Mongolia, you know? Like, wow, why wouldn't I? Why would I sit on the bed and try to recover when I should be outside wandering around, you know? And so, uh, so I did as much of that as possible. I toured the world. I mean, I was going to Rwanda to see the gorillas. I was going to Easter Island to see these big carved heads on the island out in the Pacific. I was on the Trans-Siberian Railway, something I always wanted to do, but probably never wanted to do by myself. And, you know, that wasn't my plan, but that's how I played out. Um, and uh, all these different places that I got to see with my own eyes, and I was so proud to be able to do that. The flip side to that was like like all of those places meant I had all this mental energy being expended on what the language was, what the value of you know the current currency was, um, you know what, what you know what language are they talking and where am I supposed to go and how do I read the signs and how do I not get lost or not go to the wrong neighbourhood get mugged because that would suck. Uh, how do I stay alert in um, you know in the in the hostel that I'm staying in because I had to stay in hostels because it's all I could afford. Um, how do I, you know, make sure I eat the right meal at the right time without without being in cotton wool all the time, you know? I'm in Mumbai 
I don't yeah. want to just eat packaged food all the time. I want to go to a restaurant and eat some real food, but I don't want to have the shits and inevitably, inevitably you're going to get sick. Like, it's just going to um, And so all these different places and all these different things, that all started to be real white noise to me. Like, like there was so much going on all the time and I had to think about how I was writing blog posts and posting videos and all of that was just like a crappy internet speeds and I couldn't afford to get a... Um, a travel agent because that was going to be 10% of their cost of everything, right? Like, like you know, getting a, t- a, 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 you know, a, I'm spending thirty or $40,000 of $120,000 that I spent that year was on flights, not just for me, but for my mate as well. And if you have, have to pay a travel agent, they're going to take 10%. If I could do it myself, I could probably save that 10%. That's another few thousand dollars towards better accommodation, food, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so all of those things just, just so much going on all the time. I had my mate with me for the first few months. He was getting too drunk all the time, which just wasn't really helping, you know, because this was my adventure. It wasn't his adventure. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. his. And nothing against Baz. He's a beautiful human being. Um, just after a while, I just felt like I was carrying him when I needed him to carry me. And, um, yep. and so by the time I got to each of those race starts, the funny thing was that's where I just relaxed. Because I was a bit G'd up because I was at a race start, but I wasn't nervous anymore because I'd done it over and over and over. I practiced every week, right? And so once I started running, I knew what to do. Like I knew how to get to the end. And so I just kept on, I kept on running and I just kept on going, okay, this is where you feel good. Okay, now this is the part where you feel terrible, but you just kind of call on your reserves and you believe in yourself again, mate. And this is where your body starts to trigger all those amazing levels of testosterone that you've been gasping for every week because, you know, you've been, you've been tapping into it every week. So you start becoming addicted to it, right? And so every single yeah. week I had this process of getting to the race and if I could get to the race start, then that was a win. If I could get to the race finish, that was an even bigger win. If my body wasn't damaged, that was good too, you know. Um, but if it was, then I was just going to work my way through it. Hi, it's Dave here with a quick word from our sponsor. Knotswood House is a financial advisory firm that specialises in working with successful business professionals who share our passion for endurance sports. People often come to us for one of three reasons. You aren't where you thought you'd be financially at this point in your life. Or two, you seem to have no time to get a proper handle on your finances. And three, you may be annoyed you're paying so much for life insurance to protect yourself and your family, but you're fitter and healthier than the average punter, and you wonder why it costs you so much. Underlying all of this is often a concern that you may be wasting your opportunities and not maximising all of your hard work. We have a five-step process we take you through, which will help you develop a plan you're confident will get you to where you want to be financially, simplify your affairs and take much of the hassle off your hands, and show how you can be rewarded financially for looking after yourself and your family. For more details, head to knightswood.com.au. Okay, back to the show. Now tell me, because I know after I, yeah, after I finish a big race, you know, there's, a, there's a big build-up to it. There's all the preparation, all the mental energy that goes into it, all the rest of it. And after a big race, there's a real letdown. It's almost, you know, you, you've reached the peak. Now what's next? And you, you kind of go through that process. You had this massive peak, like continual peaks over 12 months of this massive adventure. What happened afterwards? A really interesting point 
you bring up, right? Because, like, because a mate of mine was smart enough to bring up that point with me while I was running through the year. So this guy, this guy, John Barnes, he's um wonderful dude. Um, he's an Aussie guy, met a um, Swedish girl when he was living in, uh, in uh, Adelaide, when he was studying psychology in Adelaide. And, uh, and so he moved across to Sweden with this girl and, uh, and he was living over there and life was pretty good, all that kind of stuff. I had another mate that was living in Dubai and another mate that was um, flying over from Australia and another mate that was going to come over from London. And they all came to meet me in Denmark um, to go to the, um, to go to Ross Kilda, Ross Kilda Music Festival. Um, and that was in the middle of the year. So I just finished the St. Petersburg Marathon, which was my 26th marathon. Um, we went to this music festival. I didn't actually know that this guy, John, was going to be there. I only knew that this guy, Adam, was coming over from Dubai. His mate was coming over from Sweden. I saw this guy in the ticketing line to go and get our tickets so we could go to this festival. And uh, and he's looking at me going, you're really familiar, mate. Did you happen to grow up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne? And I'm like, yeah, I did. You know, I grew up in Belgrade. And he goes, well, you know what? I reckon I know you from when we were kids. Did you live on a street called Bayview Road? And I said, yeah, I did. He said, my name's John. My brother's name is Sam. We used to hang out with you and Chris when we were six years old and seven years old. Oh, wow. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. So we used to go to this guy's place because he, he, um, he had an Atari. And we, oh, exactly, wow. right? An Atari. <laughs> and, um, and we used to play video games. And, and all of a sudden I see him at, 30, odd, 33 years old in a line in bloody Denmark for a music festival and all of a sudden he's talking, and he's a psychologist, right? So he's he's talking to me about all these um, things that I must be experiencing. He's asking all these questions. He's fascinated by my journey. And then a couple of months later he says, I know you're going to go over to Norway. Um, I'd like to meet up with you in Oslo. I'd like to get that train ride with you across to the coast in Stavanger and um, I'd like to talk to you more. I've never seen the area. He came and got the train with me. It was really wonderful to have another, you know, a mate. And I had lots of people trying to meet up with me at different points. So I wasn't exactly lonely the whole time. I'd had these people reaching out and just being part of the journey with me. And so this guy actually came along and we got on the train and we're sitting on the train and we're going through all these beautiful fjords on this train and we're looking out and going, how beautiful this is and how amazing. He goes, yeah, yeah, it is amazing. It's really good. But, you know, Tristan, I'm really interested. You know, he's like basically started to psychoanalyze me while I'm trying to just take him. And he's like, I'm, I'm, you know, asking you all these questions, Tristan, and the funny thing I find is that you speak so quickly and I need you to actually just take a breath and slow down. He said, you've got this thing that happens when you finish a race and it's called forced speech. So you're talking at a million miles an hour because you've got all these chemicals running around your brain and your body and it lasts for about a day or two and your your mouth is speaking more quickly than your brain can compute the information and so you actually just start to just kind of speak a bit of rubbish and, uh, and he said, just slow down. And he goes, let me just tell you this thing. Like basically every single week you inject all these amazing um, hormones into your body, um, you know, these chemicals like testosterone and serotonin and endorphins and things like that. And you're doing this every single week. Now, the norm would be that you would drive yourself to this peak in one race and then you'd have a month off, right? And then you'd start to rebuild again. But you're not doing that. You're doing it every single week. Have you thought about the fact of what you're going to do after this year and how that's going to affect you if you stop injecting all these amazing chemicals in? your body 
And I'm like, no, mate, because I don't want to think about next year because next year is next year and every single day and every single week I'm having a new experience and it's the only time in my life where I've felt like I'm so in the moment, I'm so encouraged by just reaching into these really amazing points in time. Like right now we're on a train watching like, you know, the Fjordlands pass us by in Norway. Like how incredible is this? Why, why do I care about what happens next year? I could fail next week. My body might give up. In a couple of days, I'm doing this race in Stavanger and on the Sunday, I'm going to fly down to, uh, to Denmark. I'm going to get a ferry overnight on Saturday night to, uh, to get to an island called Bornholm Island uh, at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning and I'm going to start a 100-kilometre race an hour later. Like, I'm focused on that, not what happens after that. And he's like, well, I think you should start buddy thinking about it because if you don't, you're going to have a big, I think you're going to go into a level of depression when you come back to Australia. Yeah. And I think it's a real thing and you should really consider it. And so my answer to that, like, because I dismissed it at the time because I was being a dickhead. Um, but then later on, I, uh, I did get, I, I, like, while I was travelling, I reached out to a buddy and I said, look, we've been talking about what we're going to do next. He's a, he's a guy I went to primary school with and I'd been, you know, mates with him for a lifetime. We went to high school together as well. And, um, I said, I know you want to come and have an adventure. I know on your coffee table you've got a book of the 10 greatest trail races in the world. I know the one on there that I want to do is called the Marathon de Saab, 250 k's across the Sahara Desert. I want you to come and do that race with me in 2011. Are you keen? And he came back with a yes. And we booked it like a week later to get into this race. And we, by, by May of 2011, we were supposed to be running 250 k's through the Sahara. That meant when I got home, I had about a month, if I was lucky, to recover before if I wasn't training, then I wasn't going to be able to make it to that race, you know. And so I had a plan to just keep going. And that wasn't necessarily the best plan, but that was my plan. And that's what I, that's what I really, and, and, and it made me recognise all, all the things that you just mentioned, like, like you do normally have downtime. I'd run a bunch of marathons. I'd have had exactly those down points after running a race. But what I realised is the only way to mitigate that is to have your next race already booked. Have two races booked. Have five races booked. Have it all booked so that you know what the next plan is because you're going to do that in business, right? You're going to do that in life. You're not going to go, well, I'm just going to get this project done and then I'm going to stop. Like, cause then your business is stuffed, isn't it? You're going to have to have five more projects in the funnel or you're screwed, you know? So what are you doing to mitigate that? And what am I going to do to mitigate this with my life? Like, you know, we're constantly planning out the lives of our children, our own lives, our business, business lives. Well, we've got to plan out our fitness as well to accommodate for the need to have consistency because that consistency is the key. And, David, I'm talking about that as I'm absolute guru, and I am not. I screw it up <laughs> all the time. The one thing I do seem to get right is I consistently have a race plan. The one thing that I, you know, sometimes get right is I have a good life plan. The one thing I hope that I get right on a more regular basis is the fact that I need a better business plan just around my life. So, yeah, you know, like I'm, I don't know, mate. It's not always perfect, but, uh, but I'm doing my best. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Before we wrap up, because I'm conscious of the time, and I, it's been fascinating talking to you. Um, you, know, you spoke about having, um, yeah, having all these things planned out and things like that. 
and I know now you've got kids and and that sort of stuff. So that's obviously, I presume, a little bit more difficult to to juggle. How how do you manage to do that now? Well, so I know I know that your background is finance, mate, and 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 I wish that I was smarter around the way I positioned myself financially so that I was less stressed about that side of things so I could focus on raising my children. I have still lived a little bit year to year, day to day, because I'm, 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 I'm a bit of a risk taker. So I'm lucky that I, I met a girl while I was running around the world, by the way. I ran around the world and found a girl from Benalla, which is <laughs> absolutely ridiculous, but she's the most wonderful woman. We got married in 2011. I actually took her over at, uh, sorry, in 2012. I took her over at the end of 2011 to uh, Brazil and to the Aguasu Falls, and I dropped an E and put a ring on it. And, um, and brought her back and married her just when my book got launched and I was on the speaking circuit and I was doing all this cool stuff. And I'm on the speaking circuit, right? And that's got to be a limited time frame of being able to tell, tell, you, tell your story because everyone's coming up with great stories all the time. But I was doing that and I was having fun and I was still living, you know, month to month, living in the moment, you know. I'm that guy who always lives in the moment now, blah, blah, blah. Um, not... Not really seeing the writing on the wall that if we were going to have kids, and we did IVF and all that kind of stuff to have kids, that was a real struggle. That was a lot of money down the drain as well. Um, not down the drain because we ended up with two kids, so that was great. But, um, but you know, I didn't, I didn't plan those things well enough. And then when the kids came along, we were, well, when the first one came along, it was just a life changer. Obviously, I had been, I recognised that I'd been super selfish over the last few years. Like running around the world is probably the most selfish thing I could possibly do because I just blew all the money that I had saved up, anything that I had in reserve, I absolutely annihilated that and therefore took away any possibility of buying a house immediately, of having like a, a just just something, just an apartment just to, you know, just to go and live in. So I was just back to paying rent again and all that kind of stuff. Um, all of those things was I dismissed the value that I'd been building up and all of a sudden I had a child and I realised that I was being a selfish prick and uh, and that I really needed to just legitimise what I was doing to start to bring money in again, to have some consistency around it. I started working for an ad agency. I started building up a bit more of a, you know, a war chest, so to speak. Um, you know, that was a bit up and down. Some years were good, some years were bad. I seemed to do okay out of it. We managed to have two kids. Then, uh, you know, the only thing that was ever going to make my wife really, really happy was to buy a house, uh, which we have done actually just, just recently, just a few months ago. Um, and so all of those things have backed up against me. And now I find myself in a level of debt that I didn't expect, um, you know, and this isn't just the debt from, you know, right, right, you know, uh, sorry, buying a house, but this is actually the debt from I was trying to create a bunch of running groups. I was trying to have a job. I was trying to do speaking gigs at the same time. I was trying to be like the, you know, what is it? The, um, the, the master of none. So, you know, like I'm... Yeah, jack of all trades, master, master of, none. of none. And so I was a jack of all trades and I've got a lot of trades going at the moment and I'm not mastering any of them very well. And I've just got this new job at Shopify and I want to be really, really good at this job because it's an astonishing opportunity for me. I really like it and I'm really excited. And it takes me back to feeling like I'm part of a global company when I was working at Google. Uh, I also want to continue running because I really love it. And if I can simplify my life to going, I've got a great job, 
I've got a house that I get to keep, which is in Brighton, which is a really nice part of Melbourne. You know, yeah, so pretty well. Yeah. My wife does really well, by the way. She works really hard and does really well in her job at, at Seek. Um, I uh, I also want my kids to have a wonderful life and where they're living and where we are. We created a wonderful little life. I need to get my finance in order, but I also always needed that one thing to be a little bit of a gamble. So I still have to gamble a little bit in one part of my life. So my wife's misconsistency and I'm a little bit flighty in my what I want out of my life. I've got my running groups, which there's four of them, and they're not mine. It's a cooperative. There's three other coaches that are part of it. I wish we could have more coaches around the world, um, but I've created an app called the Run Like Crazy Running app, which will go into beta in the next month, I hope. It's been been sort of built over the last 12 months and uh, and it's looking fantastic. And what it is, it's an app that not just gives you all the training programs that you get from all the other running apps and all that kind of stuff and gives you a bit of guidance, but it also gives you a way to find other runners. So there's basically a running directory on there. And so if you want to go for a run, you could look and you'll come to Melbourne, say, David, and you want to run on a Tuesday morning, you could look up and you might find a few different points around Melbourne of of official run like crazy groups that you could go and join or someone might post a group where they just want to go running from the city from the hotel and you could go and meet them at that hotel and you could go and have a run with them as well and how cool is that you know like go and meet yeah. someone they're going for a run as well they're also visiting and they or you're, you're set up a pin you'd like to go running on a saturday morning you don't know anyone in your area that's going for a run so you put a pin down and you go i want to run now this is the pace i'm going to go this is the distance maybe someone joins you and you have a good conversation maybe you don't so for me it's about creating these remote um, communities of runners and ones that i could find because when i go traveling you want to be able to I do the same thing I want to find some runners. Do you know what I mean? So I'm creating a tool where I can maybe get other people to create these groups and I could go and join them. And if I'm, if I'm going to go and work, uh, you know, I'll, I'll travel a bit for this job. So I'll go back to Toronto a little bit. I'll go over to Auckland. I'll go to Sydney. I'll go to Brisbane, all these different places. I want people to post a pin where I can find them easily and I can have a trot with these people. And not necessarily that I have to get a car, rent a car and go and drive 20 minutes to find someone. I could just find someone else in the city that wants to go for a run and join me too. And I could have a chat, which I love. I hate running by myself. I just, I, I, I find it an immensely lonely sport if that's what you want or an encouragingly communal sport if that's what you require as well. And that's what I that's what I get out of it, you know, building little friendships along the way, these little, these little sometimes ongoing everlasting mates that I've met around the world from running or these little fleeting friendships that I can find along the way, just meeting someone on a run, having a chat to them, wishing them well in their life and moving on. You know, that's that's what I love. So if I could just get that finished, (laughs) building this bloody, um, you know, app and getting it out there and encouraging that side to my life i don't need it to be any crazy financial success i just want it to be a tool that i can be really proud of something i produced just like the book that i produced it's called run like crazy you know it came out with penguin it's out there it's been translated into chinese really proud of that that's something that happened a few years ago i ran around the world that's something i'm proud of i need another one of those things that i'm proud of because otherwise and that's my little selfish corner of my life 
if I get to do that, I get to help have the selfish piece of me satisfied and my running is a specifically selfish thing that I get to do as well. Um, but then I get to spend the rest of my time being really good at my job at Shopify, um, telling a few stories to students. If I get invited along to do a talk, I've been a public speaker for the last few years and really enjoying that. Corporate events, be, uh, you know, school events, um, you know, I, I get to go and do those things. Once again, it's selfish for me, but I get a bit of extra cash out of it as well. And uh, and the rest of the time, just do a really good job at Shopify. And uh, and it takes me back to being challenged mentally, making a good, secure income that I can fund, A, the house that we just bought with my wife, and B, the education for my kids so that they have the opportunity to go and do amazing things too. Yeah. So that's yes, my it's plan. A- it's a bit messy still though, mate. I've got to refine it a bit Fantastic. Look, thank you very much. I have had such good fun talking to you today, Tristan. And um, for anyone who wants to reach out and connect with you, buy your book, come for a run with you, whatever else, what's the best way for them the to find you? The quickest way to find us is to uh, go to facebook.com slash runlikecrazy or runlikecrazy.com, which is the website which you can find the four different running groups on there and like I said, hopefully there's more. There's certainly that website's going to get updated with a, a big facelift to launch the their app in the coming uh, months and whatnot as well. Um, and or just look me up, you know, Tristan at runlikecrazy.com. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm pretty easy to find on LinkedIn as well, you know. There's usually a picture of me running. There's a TED Talk that I did, a 20-minute TED Talk. There's a one-hour ESPN documentary that you can find on runlikecrazy.com, like in the video section. Um, there's lots of really cool parts of that story. And I actually encourage, if anyone's really interested, um, just to even the quickest glance to go to runlikecrazy.com and look at the, you know, the about sort of section at the top of the page, you'll find the list of all the marathons I did around the world, which 42 countries, seven continents, including Antarctica, and all the times connected to that and some of the story connected to that. At a glance, it's actually pretty cool and I'm, I'm pretty proud of that alone. Yeah, fantastic. Look, thanks very much again, Tristan. And, um, yeah, as I say, for, for anyone out there listening, I encourage you to reach out and, uh, yeah, really friendly bloke, more than happy to have a conversation, as you can tell. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much, mate. Big thank you to Tristan Miller for being an amazing guest on the show this week. You can find out more about Tristan in the show notes at nicewood.com.au forward slash episode nine and at runlikecrazy.com. If you like this interview, please share it with a friend. We'd also love you to give us some feedback. Rate the episode on iTunes and tell us what you thought. And if there was a special guest you'd like to hear on the show in future, let us know and we'll do our best to get them on. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Dave Hazelwood and you've been listening to The Pursuit of Life. Thank you for listening to The Pursuit of Life. To learn more about how Knightswood House can help you live your life of adventure whilst planning your future, visit knightswood.com.au.